The book of uh, Revelation, the final chapter, as we have been preaching through the book. I'll read chapter 22, and we're going to be focusing on the 17th verse. This is the word of the Lord. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not. For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things... God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Verse 17, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Okay, you Calvinists, game is over. There it is. This verse blows you out of the water. You know, away with your babbling about election and predestination and God choosing who will be saved and who won't be saved. 
He couldn't make it any clearer. It's so simple, even Calvinists can understand it. What don't you understand about whosoever will let him take the water of life freely? I mean, it's such an obvious truth that it's even a popular hymn theme. Um, now, we had to write hymns about it because we couldn't find, find it taught in the Psalms, but never mind about that. That's never a problem for us anyway. The point is, it's in the hymns. What more proof do you need that it's true, right? Songs are a great way to teach theology, whether right or wrong, as you know. Now, we know the Bible says women aren't supposed to teach men theology, at least in church, but we make an exception for for Fanny Crosby because she was such a good lyricist. Plus, she wrote over 8,000 hymns. She wrote over 8,000 hymns. And God could only write 150. So what does that tell you? Right there. These weighty verses are from her hymn, Whoever Will, which is based on verse 17. Whoever will, I'm sorry, I can't sing it for you. Whoever will, you're not sorry, I can't sing it for you, however. Whoever will, whoever will, whoever will may come today, whoever will may come today and drink of the water of life. Behold his hands extended now, the dews of night are on his brow. He knocks, he calls, he waiteth still. Oh, come to him, whoever will. Poor, pitiful Jesus. See, he's reaching out to you. He's extending his bloody, nail-pierced hands. He's still pouring forth sweat from his torment on the cross, yet he knocks on your heart, he calls to you, he longingly waits for you to decide for him. Poor, pitiful Savior. Why won't you have mercy on him? Won't you do what he's begging you to do, what he's powerless to make you do? Simply believe that he's your Savior? I mean, what a trifle to ask when he's given his life for you. Just say the words. Recite the sinner's prayer. Now, Fanny Crosby graced us with another hymn, Why Will Ye Wander? And it goes like this. O ye thirsty ones that languish on life's drifting sand, tis the Savior bending over you, reaching out his toil-worn hand. Lo, the summer days are ending, they will soon be o'er. While the Spirit still is pleading, grieve your dearest friend no more. I'm going to cry. Poor, toil-worn, grieving Jesus. Why? You know, his heart is just going to fill up with tears and, and up and burst open if you don't reach out to him and accept him. Amen. <laughs> What, you want more than that? I don't know, wait a minute. I seem to recall something from the Bible. It says somewhere that Jesus is the creator of the universe somewhere. Yes, in John 1, that's what it says. That he's the risen Savior to whom all power has been given in heaven and on earth in Matthew 28. The one to whom the Father has given the earth as his footstool, Psalm 110 and Matthew 24 and Mark 12 and Luke 20. The one who has power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. John 17. The one who saved his people from their sins. Not all people. Matthew 121. He came to save his people from their sins. The one who said, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. John 6.44. The one who said, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, John 16, 15. So he can't get the job done until people decide to come to him. 
to what we're supposed to believe. See, there seems to be a big disconnect there. It's like Earth to Fanny Crosby, hello. No, it actually would be Heaven to Fanny Crosby, hello. Have you not been paying attention to what God says in the Bible? Now, Fanny, whose hymn lyrics I'm using to represent almost all heaven or a lot of evangelicals, almost you know, certainly a large number, and fundamentalists today, uh, I'm using her lyrics because they do sing her little ditties in, in church all the time. They would say, oh, but Revelation 22.17 says, whosoever will. And that means whosoever wills to come to Christ will be saved. And guess what? That is absolutely true. But what about all those other verses that say he saves only those the Father has chosen? Well, guess what? That is absolutely true. Now, how can that be? How can anyone who wills to come to Christ be saved, and yet only those who have been chosen will be saved? Well, the Bible gives us the answer, and it's very simple. Only those who have been chosen will want to come to Christ. Philippians 2.13 For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He gives us the will and the power to carry out his will in our actions. Or as C.S. Lewis put it this way, unless he wanted you, you would not be wanting him. Charles Spurgeon said, there are two great truths from this platform, which was our quote of the week this morning. There are two great truths from this platform I have proclaimed for many years. The first is that salvation is free to every man who will have it. The second is that God gives salvation to a people whom he has chosen, and these truths are not in conflict with each other in the least degree. Now, please understand the motivation of Fanny Crosby and other sincere, what are known as Arminians, as you, as you know the term, I'm sure, is wonderful. Their motivation is wonderful. I share it. They want everybody to be saved from hell and enjoy eternal life with Christ. And I share that, of course, and you do too, I'm sure. Proclaiming the gospel is the only way to reach people. The problem is with that Arminian message that Christ is begging you to make a decision for him and he's powerless and pitiful. That's not the gospel. And that's not going to save anybody. Where countless evangelicals and fundamentalists and that uh, go seriously wrong is when they present Christ as this pitiful, weak, pleading figure begging you to come to him. They try to make people feel so sorry for him that they'll adopt him like they would the sad-faced but cute runt of the litter, basically. Moreover, they often ignore sin and the necessity of repentance, which is critical. A typical Arminian approach is actually admitted by people like, and I'll name some names, Joel Osteen, Robert Schuller, and his crazy family, just to name a few of many. They said they don't talk about sin because it turns people off. Or as Joel Osteen said in a recent interview, he talks about sin in a, quote, positive light. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't want you to feel bad. I mean, if you feel bad, you might not come back to the church, right? And then they wouldn't have a megachurch. I mean, how can you, how you can repent of something when you don't feel bad about it? He doesn't say how that works. See, people aren't told what sin is; they won't recognize that they're sinners. 
If they don't recognize they're sinners, then why would they want a Savior to save them from their sins, which they don't know anything about? Of course, course telling people about sin makes them feel guilty because, duh, they are guilty. We are all guilty. That's the whole point. But of course, you don't leave it with that. You then present the gospel, the good news of Christ as the Savior from sin. A person has to recognize that they're a sinner before they recognize their need for a Savior. They have to know what sin is to realize that they've sinned and come to repentance before they can come to Christ. Now, did Christ say, oh, I'm not going to talk about sin because it turns people off? Did he say, I'm not going to talk about repentance? Well, you know the answer. Of course not. Uh, Just a couple of examples. He said in Mark 9 and in Luke 5, I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Luke 24, repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Part of the Great Commission. John Calvin said, The Holy Spirit teaches us in Scripture that our mind is smitten with so much blindness that the affections of our heart are so depraved and perverted that our whole nature is vitiated, is corrupt, that we can do nothing but sin until he forms a new will within us. We can do nothing but sin until God forms a new will within us. The belief that we have free will, uncorrupted by sin, and we're able to judge the claims of Christ and make a decision for or against him is the crux of what is called Arminianism, named after a man, Arminius, he called himself, who popularized it. It's preached, taught, and believed by millions of evangelicals and fundamentalists. Um, But it's demonstrably not the message of the Bible. The Jesus Christ that's preached by Arminians is weak and powerless, begging people to make a decision for him. That Jesus Christ never lived. The Jesus Christ of the Bible is the creator of the universe. John 1, 3, all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. He's the source of all life. He's the one who said, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Does that sound like a weakling, a powerless person? It's one or the other, right? But Christ said, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth, in Matthew 28. He said he has power that no man has, the power to forgive sins. Luke 24, excuse me, Luke 5, 24. He said it was impossible for anyone to take his life, that he had the power to rise from the dead. He said, no man take it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again, John 10, 18. He said he has power over all flesh in John 17, 2. Who in him is life, the one who keeps the universe, including our bodies, from falling apart. And that's in Colossians 1.17. It says, by him all things consist. I mean, he's the glue to the whole universe. He's the, he's the one who keeps the electrons spinning around the atoms. He's the one who keeps this room from flying apart. The one who said in John 15.5, without me you can do nothing. The one who told Pilate... Pontius Pilate, who threatened him with the most vicious, painful death that they had, crucifixion, he told Pilate that you could have no power at all against me except that was given to you from above. 
That's in John 19.11. See, the Jesus Christ of the Bible is the one to whom the Father has, Ephesians 1.22, put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Weak. So Arminian Christ is weak and pitiful and begging people to judge his claims and make a decision for him. Well, God forbid that Christ is a fiction, too powerless to save anybody. If he's that weak, he's too powerless to save, isn't he? On the contrary, Ephesians 1, He hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And finally, we believe, according to Ephesians 1.19, according to the working of his mighty power. We believe because God decided we would believe, according to the working of his mighty power. See, to be an Arminian, you have to ignore all those verses, or and many others. I'm only giving you a sample of them. Or spiritualize them and twist them around, either into heresy or just mushy meaninglessness, fog. Now, that's, that's what many sermons and, and most so-called Christian books do today. You know, when they're not in outright heresy or at least in error, it's because they aren't saying anything. That's why they're not in heresy. They just don't say anything. Most books published for the Christian market either ignore or rip out of context verses that don't fit into the author's idea of what they wish the Bible says, or they spiritualize them into, into just fog. Uh, that's why they're often so lifeless. You know, you go to a sermon, a lot of these sermons, or read a lot of these books, and you say, well, what, what did, I, did I learn anything? Did, I, did this mean anything? Sometimes the authors realize that, so they pump up their sermons or their books with emotionalism, hoping the reader or the listener will be tricked into responding with their feelings instead of realizing that the sermon or book is either pointless or outright heretical. Now, you recognize this especially if you've read some of the Protestant reformers, and I know most of you have, the Puritans and their successors, comparing their books and their sermons what's published as Christian books and preached as Christian sermons today is it's like comparing uh, dining at the finest restaurant of your dreams to eating out of the dumpster behind McDonald's. Again, Re- Revelation 22.17 says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. How can that be reconciled with the rest of the Bible? Again, the Bible gives us the answer. And one of the places, one of the clearest places, again, is Philippians 2.13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Only those who have been chosen will want to come to Christ, will will to come to Christ, because it's God gave him the will. What about let him that heareth say come, and him that is a thirst come? Well, let me ask you the simplest of questions. Did you one day realize that you couldn't hear and decide, hey, I can't hear. I have to grow me some ears. Or did you one day decide, hey, I can't live without water. I have to grow some thirst glands. Well, no, you were born with ears to hear. You were born with a hypothalamus to tell you when to drink. 
I had to look that up, by the way. God gave them to you. And God gives spiritual ears to hear and desire and spiritual glance to thirst and desire to those he has chosen to come to Christ. That's why in witnessing, the biblical way to witness is the word of God and prayer. Not appealing to somebody's fallen emotions, uh, not begging them to come to Christ because Christ is so pitiful and weak and he's just waiting for you to make a decision, or not giving them archaeological evidences and, and scientific evidences and history, and uh, not telling them what wonderful things Christ has done in your life because the answer of the unbeliever is, well, that's nice for you. It's not for me. No, it's giving them the word of God and praying for them. We all know, we don't have to read it in John 11, but we, we all know the story of, of Lazarus. There are two Lazaruses in, in the New Testament, the rich man and, uh, and the Lazarus that, you know, in heaven and hell. But this was Jesus' friend Lazarus, Mary, uh, Mary and Martha's brother. And, you know, he died, and they buried him. They put him in the tomb, you know, a rock tomb, just like Christ would put in a rock tomb. Um, he was dead for three days. And there was no doubt about him being dead. The Bible makes it real clear. I mean, kind of creepy clear. Uh, they said, well, they said to Jesus, well, you know, he's been there three days. He stinks, is, is the way the Bible put it. His flesh was rotting and people smelled it. Yo. Yet Jesus stood at his grave and called him to come out. Lazarus, come forth. In a loud voice. Can you imagine being there and what? <laughs> Excuse me? You're standing at the tomb of a man who died three days ago and you're telling him to come out? I mean, his ears were rotten, right? He was as dead as, the, as this wood here of this podium. I mean, he couldn't hear a hydrogen bomb if it went off next to him, okay? Much less somebody. Yet he heard Jesus calling. Now, how is that possible? Jesus said in Mark 10, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. God gave Lazarus ears to hear. And then he called to him, Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Lazarus is a vivid picture of every one of us who's dead in our trespasses and our sins. He's the physical picture of what we are spiritually. Okay. And actually, physically resurrected as well. Different. But it's, uh, he is that picture. We can't hear Christ calling us. We can't thirst after him. We can't will to come to him unless he gives us spiritual ears to hear, spiritual thirst for him. He gives us the will then to act on it. To will in Philippians and to do. Not only gives us the will, but he gives us the power to do it. Whosoever will... Is the rest of the verse, let him take the water of life freely. Well, the key word here is whosoever. The key word is will. Arminians, consciously or unconsciously, add a word to the verse that isn't there. They add the word free. They think it says, whosoever of free will, let him take the water of life freely. But free will isn't there. 
Those words aren't even in the Bible. You can look it up in a concordance. Don't take my word for it. Now, freely is there, but it's not talking about the will. It says, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Let him receive the water of life, salvation, and abundance. That's all it means. It means there's no limit to the abundance of the new life. Charles Spurgeon said, Free will I have often heard of, but I've never seen it. I've met with will, plenty of it, (laughs) but it's either been led captive by sin or held in blessed bonds of grace. So we can't hear Christ calling us. We can't thirst after him. This verse does not support our Arminian friends. We can't will to come to him unless he gives us spiritual ears to hear and spiritual thirst for him. Unless he wanted you, you would not want him. Cling to that truth and pursue him every day more than the day before, even as he draws you. Let's go to him in prayer. Indeed, Father, there's so much truth here, and uh, quite often we are afraid to approach verses that we think might... uh, are confusing to us or seem to be contradictory to the rest of Scripture or we're afraid, oh, it might undermine undermine my faith. Father, that uh, all Scripture is given to us for our, our instruction, our edification, our profit, uh, so that we may grow in grace and uh, grow to the full measure of what we are to be. And, uh, Father, we thank Thee for uh, teaching us Thy sovereignty even in these verses that uh, that appear the opposite. And so we thank Thee for that, Father. Lord, thank Thee for such great salvation, Lord. That, And we do pray that we will pursue Thee every day more than the day before because Thou art drawing us. And uh, let us rededicate our lives every morning uh, to living according to Thy will and to studying Thy word to know Thy will. Uh, for it is, uh, we know, Father, that uh, it is uh, Thee who works in us both to will and to do thy good pleasure.